So here we are in the galleries uh, of the Hirschhorn Museum with Karoli Schneemann. Mm -hmm. And Karoli, what we will be looking at is, of course, the work that we have been most fortunate to acquire for the Hirschhorn Museum, which is one of your seminal and one of the most important early works entitled Eye Body, Eye Body 36 Transformative Actions for Camera. Yeah. Could we start talking about it? What was it really when you were first conceiving this work? Because in some ways, you, on the one hand, we are looking at documentation. On the one hand, we are looking at performance. But very often, you are also talking about expanding the painting. Mm -hmm. So what is it and how this idea came about? And what were you trying to achieve? My wish was to enter my work as an extended collage element. And the question that came to me at the time was, could I have authority as an image maker and as an image? Uh, that was a big question mark. I wanted to uh, physicalize my connection to my own materials. And I was working um, in contradistinction to pop art, where the nudes were so synthetic and uh, mechanistic, they didn't bleed, they weren't truly sensuous, they were sexualized the way a male fantasy of machinery could be. So I was trying to posit some uh, contrary physicality to that, and I was also very influenced at the time, 1963, 64 by the exclusion of women's sexuality or female sexuality and a female pronoun. So there was a feeling that there was this wall of uh, exclusionary culture. Although I was permitted to do anything I wanted, I was also told basically it won't matter. You can do whatever you want now, but it's not going to have any consequence. Well, if it didn't matter and if it wouldn't have any consequence, what drove you to do this and how did you believe that it would have a consequence? Well, it's um, visionary work, it's visceral work. As, as a painter, as a young painter, I was always told uh, by my best professor, don't set your heart on art, you're only a girl. So I had this refrain uh, so constantly, but I had to um, had to work. I have had to make images that I, I needed to see them. So my painting was often uh, in landscape, self-portrait, aspects of nature in which I felt that the stroke, the paint stroke was itself an event. And the dynamism of abstract expressionism, de Kooning, Klein, uh, and of course Pollock, were opening doors to a kinetic aspect of perception. You couldn't look at Pollock unless you were uh, involved in your musculature. So the eye and the muscle, the body and the eye uh, were driving the potentiality of making these images. And so what happened, you were in your studio, mm -hmm. you were using your own body, you were using all kinds of objects that you found around yourself or that you actually assembled and you interacted with these objects. Yeah, you indeed, uh, for example, here we can look at you painted on your face mm -hmm. and 
you positioned yourself in the center, and indeed it is a collage, but you also have a very provocative gaze, but indeed it is your gaze, and you are the one who is taking mm -hmm. or recording the image, though of course well, it's I'm being recorded. Well, I'm not recording the image, but I'm establishing the position, the tactility, the duration of the image. These images all happen very quickly. They're coming through what I would call an, an entrancement. I was in an altered state. I didn't take drugs for this piece. It was just the um, the activity itself to keep transforming my body to work with these integrated materials the way you know the, the way I would without the body. And I was inspired to do this by uh, a true collaborator, the Icelandic French painter Ero, who was originally known as Ferro, but I guess you know there was a hairdresser in Paris named Ferro, and so he had to drop <laughs> his F. Uh, but he succeeded in the history of his work. He was a truly um, painter who was not misogynist. Uh, you know, I lived with a partner who was James Tenney, the composer, conductor, pianist, who was always supportive and in exchange with with what I felt I wanted to see and do. But it's very rare to find a contemporary or within my age group a painter male who mm -hmm. was really encouraging. So this was so inspiring. He became the muse. And I told him what I wanted to do and he said, uh, I'll bring the camera and uh, we'll see what happens. So, and so this took over a period of several hours yeah. or several days, no, or was no. it kind of immediate? Because it was very fast. there is an enormous sense of energy in these photographs, and I realized that originally there were only 36 taken. And that is really to me very surprising yeah. because one would imagine that with that kind of energy you would probably be taking three times as many. He might have shot more, mm -hmm. uh, but we destroyed a lot of them because they were, um, I don't know, prosaic or they didn't have the energy. So how, uh, did it take over a period of several hours? Yeah, or? it was several hours and then it was over. Uh, yeah. Um, and of course the work is very often being described as a private performance. Yes. I you guess. would still see that because most of the time when we talk about performances, performances are done in front of the public. But this is pre-performance. I would have considered it a series of actions or physicalizations. Performance does imply an audience and of course I don't like the word performance because it belongs to uh, objects, you know, your motor and your car performs, uh, the violinist performs. It has to do with pre-established, predictable um, experience or function. Something, you know, guys have to perform sexually. Um, so this was before that idea came into our culture. And um, has it been perceived right from the beginning that this is work of art or that it was documentation of the performative act? I don't think it uh, was... Even maybe entered <laughs> your yeah, thinking, right? No, it didn't enter. There was no cultural context for it. So these photographs lived in a cigar box for years because, as I've mentioned, 
I took the prints to the curators, whom I thought were most advanced and would uh, share the sense that I was in a new territory and that this had some uh, particular painterly, sculptural, live vitality. And all of them said, uh, to a man, and they were all men, uh, this is no good. Uh, we don't want to look at this stuff. Go paint if you want to paint. Um, they said it was narcissistic, they said it was exhibitionist, and basically pointless. Mm -hmm. So we also had to wait for a feminist context to develop in which there was uh, a perception of the female body in its own agency, its own creative agency. But there was no precedence for this, except perhaps some events by Yoko Ono. Yoko, which also uh, lacked a context. So there's, you know, it, it was kind of a netherworld where you had to belong to the cultural elements that you were in resistance to. Right. Uh, what really kept you going? Because if the work was rejected at the time, or if you didn't have immediate acceptance from the curators or somebody from the museum context, you must have had other collaborators or other media with whom you had a dialogue. Um, other artists? The, my work has been rejected so consistently. I'm actually thrilled and you know, I'm like a naive uh, infant looking at my works here. I can't believe this has happened. They're out of the cigar box. What happened? How did this get here? Uh, they're actually in uh, an authentic museum with uh, amazing works around them. So here they are. Uh, I live in a state of uh, determination and disbelief. Let's uh, look at some of the uh, photographs and let's see how they have been selected. This obviously must have been the one in the middle, your studio. Yeah. Uh, and I could see that there are collages and assemblages yeah. around. Were they actually uh, conceived and done for this particular performance or no. were they other works within which the action took yeah. place? Uh, these are painting constructions. Some of them are motorized. My hope was that your painting constructions would uh, integrate the body and of course the reverse has happened the body dominates the actual work and that's been another source of uh, um, frustration for me this is a, a major painting construction uh, nine feet high with motorized elements I wanted it to have uh, a dominant presence. Here, this is a fur collage, it's a fur landscape. I wanted the insertion of myself to somehow vivify the use of fur. This head is in uh, a glass, in a group of glass shards that are actually blown by little motors, and it's a large painting construction called Icebox. Uh, the garden snakes, those were... Uh, were they real or are they yeah, plastic real, right? They're real. Yeah, they're things that Arrow really wanted to use them. Uh, some of the mythological iconography was stronger for him than for me. Mm -hmm. So I wanted the real and the turn and the transparency. Yeah. Uh, 
There's the fur landscape again. It's very clear in the photograph. So you see fur and string and the shredded umbrellas. You see lots of uh, glass, glass, fragments of glass, which is plastic material. And I love the glass because it was refractive mm -hmm. and because people would see themselves in the broken mirrors. But I was always told that it was there because I wanted to look at myself. So that was another one of those mm -hmm. boomerangs. I also had a feeling that I saw a skull yeah. here as well. So it's, uh, well, but, I, it, but it's had, like confrontational here, yeah, right? I had animal carts and serpents and chicken parts all in the studio. And, uh, and so you made... This is a kind of homage to O'Keefe in a way, uh -huh. fighting the skull that uh, defined her part of her work. My feeling also is that, that I find here, because of strange, dreamy, almost like juxtapositions, almost like um, a recollection of surrealism. Mm. But I don't know whether that even entered your no, mind. No, I hated surrealism. Hated I hated how they, uh, what did they do to the feminine, uh, mythologized ah, and captured uh -huh. it. So here it you so were. locked in. Yeah, I, I definitely have surrealist affinities, so I can't explain the discrepancy. Now tell me a little bit about uh, how these photographs were developed. I remember originally when, uh, when we were looking at the work for acquisition for the Hirshhorn that we saw that some of them were not developed at the time when they were photographed. And uh, so one of my questions oh, yeah. was, maybe you weren't even able to have all of them developed. No, we didn't have any money. Yeah. Yeah, Ero went back to Paris and left me some prints and some negatives. Uh, I'm still printing or bringing forward works from the 70s that I could never afford to work with. Right. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. So. Well, another question that I could ask is, um, uh, you have done many different works and also uh, lots of different photographs. Um, how do you think that this particular work influenced you to make the next steps or what other steps and what directions did you move? Yeah, that's an interesting question because the photograph has already entered in the painting collage. Uh, there is always a talismanic set of photographs usually that I took personally or that I found that somehow key um, the relationship between the various materials in the painting construction. So this is the first time where uh, I become a photographic subject as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to influence me to uh, participate in the group actions that will be called performances that I'm beginning to direct at the time. Right. And it's also going to influence my uh, tenacious insistence that anybody can shoot but just give me some prints. Right. Because I realize there's nothing left but the photograph. And then I can reprint it, blow it up, enlarge it, uh, reintegrate it. Mm -hmm. and these photographs are also uh, very modest in size. Yeah. Was this a conscious decision? Because so many photographers sometimes try to make enormous photographs and yet these are small and yet there is something <laughs> incredibly immediate and dynamic but also it's a reflection of that time that there was no need 
to do more than was no, absolutely I wanted, necessary. I wanted big luscious photographs, and someday <laughs> I want them, you know, life size. You feel like you're walking into the image. But you know, I was working as a dog dryer in a pet shop, and as an artist model. And in those years, if we bought cigarettes, uh, we couldn't buy lunch. Whoops. So the, the possibility, you know, we didn't have grants then. Didn't, you know, I had a patron in order to produce my first large kinetic theater work, Meet Joy, who gave us $300. That seemed to be immense. We barely managed to get the raw chickens and sausages and uh, travel back and forth. Uh, you know, I would go to modern age and find out that each photograph was a dollar and a quarter. And it was too much. And you are to this day uh, fascinated by the body. Oh, and identity. I think through the body. I think in the body. Yeah. yeah I th think in the body. I explore through the body. Uh, I disembody the body. Uh, my struggle now is to get rid of the body to the extent that the work that is not explicitly body can be seen and given value. Mm -hmm. Um, and the resistance to that, as you know, is overwhelming. It's as if I've never done anything since 1963 or 64. So my major work is these installations with projection systems, uh, multiple moving images, kinetic environments, um, and, and deeply themed, deeply themed uh, with various motives. Well, we are very honored to have your work at the Hedron Museum, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you so much for having them here. <laughs>